You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and to ages of ages. Amen. O Master who loves mankind, illuminate our hearts with the pure light of your divine knowledge. And open the eyes of our mind to understand the teachings of your holy scriptures. Instill in us also the fear of your blessed commandments, that we may overcome all carnal desires. Entering upon a spiritual life and understanding and acting in all things according to your holy will. For you are the enlightenment of our souls and bodies, O Christ God. And to you we give glory together with your eternal Father and your only gracious and life-giving spirit, both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Amen. Welcome back to our Sunday Gospel Reflection. Brothers and sisters, Annie Mitchell. Father Hezekiah, it is good, good to, be to with, see you. It's good to be with you again for this 19th Sunday in Ordinary Time, in which the church places before us another one of the books from the wisdom literature. We've been looking at a number of these over the past few weeks, and here we land in the center of the whole business in the Book of Wisdom itself, the Book of the Wisdom of Solomon, as it is traditionally known to us. But let's go ahead and give everybody the passages for this coming Sunday. Yeah, looking forward to diving into these. So as Father said, we are in the Book of Wisdom for our first reading. And by the way, get out your notebooks and your Bibles, have them ready to go here. Wisdom chapter 18, verses 6 through 9 will be our first reading this weekend. Our responsorial psalm will be taken from Psalm 33. Our gospel for this weekend, we're making our way through Luke still, Luke chapter 12, verses 32 through 48. And our epistle is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And we're looking at verses one and two, and then skipping down to verses eight through 19. There you have it. Wisdom of Solomon. Yeah. All right, here we go. Wisdom chapter 18, and we are looking at verses 6 through 9. The night of the Passover was known beforehand to our fathers, that with sure knowledge of the oaths in which they put their faith, they might have courage. Your people awaited the salvation of the just and the destruction of their foes. For when you punished our adversaries, in this you glorified us whom you had summoned. For in secret, the holy children of the good were offering sacrifice and putting into effect with one accord, the divine institution. Mm. All right, well. well I'm glad we have an opportunity to look at it because it's again, one of these helicopter jobs that we do yeah. a lot of times in the liturgy where we come into a book halfway through and you're like okay can we move on no to this? idea what this is about <laughs> can we move on to the next reading please <laughs> you know? exactly no, yeah. well that's my second question what in the world is this reading about but first of all you know since we like to get our context and things just tell us in general about the book of wisdom father yeah so i'm going to go back as i did last week to a resource which i do recommend to people 
Yeah, Antonio Fuentes, A Guide to the Bible. Now, I realize that, it, you know, some of your, you know, super Bible scholars may be like, that's too simple. But you know what, Father Hezekiah is a pretty simple guy. And I guess the majority of you out there don't know biblical Greek and Hebrew. And sometimes it's good to just go back and get, you know, what do they call it? You know, when you couldn't read your book in college, you didn't have time. It was the... uh Oh, like the cliff notes. The cliff notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're to get the cliff notes. No, it's good to have a guide. And Antonio, Antonio. I'm kind of embarrassed that I remember cliff notes. See, guide, a guide to the Bible. So it's a nice little guide. And I agree. I apologize again for the cover. It's not usually, (laughs) this is an older version. I used to have one that was all covered just like that purple. I don't know why, but this was an older version. Well, going back to the school days, you need to like put the brown paper bag cover over it like you did. Exactly. Exactly. But Fuentes says, and following much modern uh, biblical scholarship that the book of wisdom is attributed to Solomon because he was a great author of wisdom stuff, right? As we know um, that he wrote many Psalms as the scriptures tell us. And so it is the current thought that the book of wisdom, it was written quite late and not really written by Solomon, but attributed to him. And there's certainly certain indications in the text that it is written during the time post-Babylonian exile, pre-coming of the Messiah, maybe even in the, in the, in the century or two leading up to the incarnation, um, quite late, uh, because of certain stylistic passages and way, ways of uh, the crafting of the language. Yeah, certain ways the Hebrew language developed and was refined over time, but also certain things that the book is dealing with. Um, and, uh, and certainly in the book of wisdom, one of the fundamental questions is what is wisdom and where does it come from? And ultimately yes, the question of who is God and what is our relationship with him in the context of a pagan society in which there's all sorts of answers being given in fire and wind and things like that that were being promoted in a pagan society, especially in, in the schools of Alexandria and Egypt, in which many of the Jews found themselves in the diaspora, asking fundamental questions about their relationship with God and being tempted in their families. And this is why I love the Book of Wisdom, is it speaks so much to our situation today. Not all that different. Being tempted by a society around them, which is as there's an atmosphere of immorality and an atmosphere which is contrary to divine revelation and the jews in the diaspora ask themselves how do we remain faithful to the lord for we are no longer near the temple right we can't go up and offer sacrifices at the temple we're no longer living in a broad in a broader context of judaism um and what is the ultimate purpose of our life? And how do we remain in communion with God? These are the questions they're struggling with in exile from, from, from temple worship and exile from Jerusalem. And ultimately, these are the answers the book of wisdom, the author of wisdom gives us. Now, as I said last week, I tend to be a traditionalist when it comes to these things. Um, and maybe a simpleton, maybe, that is maybe. possible that Solomon did actually write substantial portions of this book he himself struggling with many of these fundamental questions about the meaning of life as we talked about in our Sunday gospel reflection last week we don't do that again and that this book then took final form 
during these final centuries, uh, you know, 50 years, 100 years, 200 years before the coming of Christ, very possible. Oh, so a both and approach. A both and, exactly. But I thought I would do is give you guys uh, Fuentes' division of the book just only because I thought found it very helpful myself. And most of you probably do not have a copy of this book. Therefore, I'm going to give you the divisions of the book as a help to you as he divides it according to the first five chapters of the book. To sp speaking of exhorting people to the practice of righteousness and sincerely seeking God. Okay, and again, we place ourselves back in the diaspora of the Jews in which there's, they're trying to remain faithful to their identity while they're watching their brothers, their sisters, their cousins, their kids be sucked off by pagan idolatry, by uh, Alexandrian immorality and so forth. So he's a very, um, uh, it speaks very much to our situation today. The second part of the book, chapter six through nine, at least has Fuentes divides it, concentrates on the source of wisdom. And he gives a nice passage here in wisdom chapter seven, verse 22. We can, we can turn there. Why not? Wisdom chapter seven, verse 22 and following. Are you with me, Annie? For wisdom, the fashioner of all things, taught me, for in her there is a spirit that is intelligent, holy, unique, manifold, subtle, mobile, clear, mobile, clear, unpolluted, distinct, invulnerable, loving, and good, keen, irresistible, beneficent, humane, steadfast, sure, free from anxiety, all-powerful, overseeing all penetrating through all spirits that are in the, that are intelligent and pure and most subtle for wisdom is more mobile than any motion because of her, of her pureness she pervades and penetrates all things for she is a breath of the power of god and a pure emanation of the glory of the almighty therefore nothing defiled against and so forth okay so you can see now why the book of wisdom became so influential in the New Testament writing, as well as in the liturgy itself, seen in the book of wisdom, prefigurements, preparations for moments of revelation of the Trinity. Yeah. yeah. And so anyways, there's a second section. The third section then, chapters 10 through 19, speak of the magnificence of wisdom. This is what Fuentes says as demonstrated by the history of the chosen people. So there you have it. In chapters 10 through 19, you get all sorts of, of stories of salvation history in which God is interacting with his people and enlightening their own minds to be able to see truly and clearly, again, in a context in which there's so much temptation to be clouded in their minds. Yeah, and that's what we get here in chapter 18. If you want to just turn there very quickly, chapter 18, well, we have verses six through nine, but I would encourage you to go back to verse one, which is what I did in preparation. Look, you got to go back in at least a little bit of context. Like, remind me what exactly is being talked about here so I can grab hold of this nugget that the church wants me to look at. And But look at chapter 18, verse one. But for thy holy ones, there was very great light. So wait a minute, we're picking something up halfway through the story, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're going to, you can kind of, your eyes can go up above and, 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 and look at that. But nevertheless, their enemies heard their voices, but did not see their forms. 
Hmm. What is going, what's being talked about? Well, what's being talked about is the time of the Exodus. Yeah. In which Israel was led by the pillar of fire and and shaded by the the Shekinah glory, the, the glory cloud of God. So he's saying the enemies of God pursuing them could not see them. They could hear their voices inside the cloud, but they couldn't even see them. Yeah. And it goes on. Their enemies heard their voice, but not see them and counted them, have, da, 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 so forth. Verse three, therefore thou didst provide a flame, flaming pillar of fire as a guide for thy people's unknown journey and a harmless sun for their glorious wandering. For their enemies deserved to be deprived of light and imprisoned in darkness, those who had kept thy sons imprisoned through whom the imperishable light of the law was to be given to the world. So there's much here to be actually read in light of the Exodus story. I encourage you, if you're interested in this, and you're interested in the book of wisdom, go back and read this section. Okay, that's chapters 10 through 19. And then go back and read the story of the Exodus. Yes, uh, not the, you don't have to read the whole story in this case. If you want to get the exact context of what's going on, you can go back to Exodus chapters um, 12 and following all the way up to really like 15, 16, 15. Yeah, through 15. There you go. You're going to bring the two of them together. So that's what's going on. There's your context. Wisdom chapter 18, verses 6 through 9 now talks about the Passover night. And of course, in light of wisdom and the wisdom which God has given them to see as God sees. And the only way for us to see as God sees is by faith. This is why the church is now going to bring in for us the epistle, which we're going to read about the importance of faith. Faith is a total giving over of myself to the one in whom I entrust myself, right? Total giving over my intellect. So the two become one. And now I begin to see as he sees, right? I can tell you this, watch this. And this is going to, this is just a practical example, but I think it's helpful. On the other side of this wall, there is a light switch. It's okay. a hallway. Right. Now, now you can't see that, but I can. The only way for you to know it is to completely entrust yourself to me uh -huh. that I can see and know something you cannot, right? This is the gift of, of faith by which the two become one. That's why faith is so powerful. We're talking about faith, not in, in human persons, but in the, the divine, because now I begin to see according to God's vision. Yeah. And now we have this chapters 18, six through nine, in which this, the passage given to us this Sunday. Okay. Well, you've partially answered the second question that I said, you know, that what in the world is this reading about? So how does, how does it all fit in here then? Um, so this is talking about the Passover. Um, and so, well, Take us through this a little bit. Sure. Take us the night of the Passover was known beforehand to our fathers. Well, how was it known beforehand to our fathers? What's he talking about? We yeah. just go back to the story. It was revealed to Moses what was about to take place. And the and you can go back there and, and look at that in Exodus chapter 12 and and, and following. I'm just going to go right there to make sure I don't give you a bad passage. Right, exactly. And then 12 and following, and then 
Um, then Moses, look at verse 21. Chapter 12, verse 21 of Exodus. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, select lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb and take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood, which is uh, so forth and so forth. Verse 23, for of, the, of his house until the morning, sorry, for the Lord will pass over through to slay the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood and the lintel, this is what's going to happen. Now, they had to have faith in Moses right? So they knew beforehand, the night of Hashem was known beforehand to our fathers, that with a sure knowledge of the oaths in which they put their faith, they mm -hmm. might have courage. God promised that if they did this, he would do this. Yes? Yeah. And they did it, and he did it. Yeah? There's the Passover. That uh, oh, in their faith, that uh, they might have courage in the midst of this craziness of what's going on, right? I mean, you can imagine, you have to, when you're reading the scripture, you're going to get inside the story. I want you to imagine being a slave in Egypt and Pharaoh is royally upset. I'm going to use nice language. <laughs> his head is blowing off, like much like Father Hezekiah's, but no, he's, 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 and now you're going to go ahead and kill, I mean, all the firstborn are going to die, including his own son. You're gonna you're 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 poking the bear. Let's just be nice about it, right? I mean, that's yeah. you're poking the bear. And so they had courage. Why? Because they knew what God was going to do. Because they entrusted themselves totally to what He promised He would do. Your people away the salvation of the just and the destruction of their foes. For when you punished our adversaries, in this you glorified us, whom you had summoned. Right? Notice the turning around now. Egypt goes and kills all the male children. Right? And Moses escapes. This is what it says. If you read back in 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 X in Wisdom chapter eighteen, as it starts in talking about Moses being the one who escapes this destruction, right? Um, and and now the the whole thing turns on its head, and the, what the Egyptians had perpetrated becomes their own. You know how this one of the story this is like. It's like um, it's like the sons of J of Israel selling their brother into slavery. And they themselves then end up in slavery and their children, mm -hmm. right? Our sins oftentimes follow us because we've yoked ourselves to this way of life. And so when you punish our adversaries in this, you glorified us whom you have summoned for in secret, the holy children of the good uh, of, of the good were offering sacrifice and you know, the, the Passover lamb mm -hmm. and putting into effect with one accord, the divine institution. Okay. There's our, there's our, our, our story. I think we need to, we, as we move on now in our uh, taking a look, we hold this with us. Now this, the Lord has promised to act in our lives. If only we will see as he sees. Mm. And this is, okay. Maybe we can use one other point about the book of wisdom, that I think is helpful to us. Um, and that is, um, it, it is um, how the author of wisdom says, look around you, open your eyes to God's creation, and you will come to know him. And if you don't do there's a there's now there's a relationship now, right? How my eyes are opened, and how I come to know him and him to know him, I come, I come to know how to act and how to live. Yes. But the opposite of that can also happen. If I live in immorality, 
I will become clouded about my vision of God. Yeah. And the book of wisdom um, uh, goes after this point very clearly in chapter 13. So let's take a look very quickly there before we move on to um, the, our New Testament readings. And because there's a, conne- a very important connection here to the New Testament picked up in the writings of St. Paul. Obviously, St. Paul was reading the book of wisdom, chapter 13. Ooh, I turned to chapter three, chapter 13, one. verse one. Annie, go ahead and read that for us. For all men who were ignorant of God were foolish by nature, and they were unable from the good things that are seen to know him who exists, nor did they recognize the craftsmen while paying heed to his works. Now here, look at verse two. This is one of those indicators of, of, of the time in which the book is written. Again, I'm going to say it doesn't preclude Solomon from being the, the author or the speaker of, the, of, the, of wisdom, but it certainly seems that this book has taken its final form during this time. Notice what it says next, verse two, go. But they supposed that either fire or wind or swift air or the circle of the stars or turbulent water or the <clears throat> luminaries of heaven were the gods that rule the world. Okay, you see that? That's 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 a clear indication, right? Because that's that's kind of Alexandrian oh, okay. paganism. That's uh, the 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 ancient philosophers, right? These are guys that that even that Aristotle and 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 Plato are having to fight against, saying no, 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 no. This is so. This would this is more of an indication, not something Solomon would have been saying about necessarily like the Canaanites, but more about the, the Greek philosophers and so forth, okay? Or some of them. Hmm. Very okay. interesting. So, okay, okay. so, so, the, so the, the, the thing continues. You can keep reading. Also, I'm going to do one last passage in chapter 14, verse 22. Chapter okay. 14, verse 22 and following. Go ahead, Annie. Afterward, it was not enough for them to err about the knowledge of God, but they live in great strife due to ignorance, and they call such great evils peace. For whether they kill children in their initiations or celebrate secret mysteries or hold frenzied revels with strange customs, they no longer keep either their lives or their marriages pure, but they either treacherously kill one another or grieve one another by adultery. Okay, so you see, so maybe you say, you see the connection now between knowledge of God in the moral life. Wisdom is saying this, the author of wisdom is saying this in the context of Egypt and Alexandria, and you can imagine what life was like there, okay? And, uh, and, and, um, uh, and, the, and the author of wisdom is saying, be careful about seeing what you see around you, both in what's going on in Egypt, know its sources, know the connection between how they're living and the truth about God, for we ourselves have received the truth about God, and here it is in the book of wisdom, right? Now, I'm going to stop there for a second and ask you to turn with me to Romans chapter one, just to see how St. Paul basically uh, um, takes this passage for himself in a passage that I'm constantly going back to nowadays, because again, we're living, there's nothing new under the sun, we're living the same thing, right? We've been we've been looking at this passage how many times, Annie? Chapter yeah, one, verse times, 18. Yeah. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who by their wickedness suppress the truth. 
for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them ever since the creation of the world. His invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. Hello, that's the book of wisdom that we just read, right? Yeah. He's just taking it right, to take his argument right from there. And then he goes on, of course, to say that all of this leads to, to, to immorality. And St. Paul focuses specifically on sexual immorality, specifically on homosexuality as a result of a confusion about who God is. They were unable to see him, to come to know him. Probably, I mean, why? Well, our, 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 our sins cloud our vision. And so the thing goes back and forth, right? It goes both ways. Our sins drag us down. We're unable to see. Then because we're not able to see, we fall into deeper sins. And of course, the deepest sin or one of the deepest sins for St. Paul is, is homosexuality and this confusion about our relationships between persons. Because if we confuse the relationship of the Godhead, we're ultimately going to confuse the relationship between people made in his image and likeness. Because those relationships are for that purpose. Yeah. So you see the connection there. And then, of course, the wisdom focuses on abortion. Yeah. This the killing of of children, of infants. And and there you can maybe even see a little bit of what Solomon would have been dealing with with the Canaanites with child sacrifice. Good grief. Yeah. Okay. That's a that's enough of that can we move on to <laughs> brighter fields please let's move on to brighter things i mean we're seeing uh, i see echoes of the themes that you've been talking about in wisdom in our psalm for this weekend mm -hmm. psalm 33 blessed the people the lord has chosen to be his own mm -hmm. well i'll share with you saint basil the great rejoice therefore in the lord O you righteous not when the interests of your home are flourishing, not when you are in good health of body, not when your fields are filled with all sorts of fruits, but when you have the Lord, such immeasurable beauty, goodness, and wisdom, let the joy that is in him suffice for you. Okay, now I'm just going to stop there to say this. I, 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 the reason I want to share that St. Basil with you here. St. Basil's insights very much reflect what the author of wisdom speaking to a people that finds themselves in exile in, in the diaspora in Alexandria are, are saying, what, what is the treasure of my life? And again, I would say, because we, we, when we mentioned the Exodus, and we're going to mention the Exodus again in a few minutes, um, regarding the gospel reading, in the same struggle going on in Egypt, what's the purpose of this whole thing? What's God's plan in my life? Things don't look so hot from a human standpoint. And yet God has a greater plan to raise our eyes to see what is truly valuable and what we should really be in hopes for and investing our lives in. And that's going to bring us to the gospel passage nicely. So St. Basil is our bridge there. Awesome. Same. Good bridge to choose for sure. Okay, so Luke chapter 12 is where we're headed for the gospel this weekend. And we will start with verse 32. Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Okay. All right. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not be afraid any longer, little flock, for your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your belongings and give alms. Provide money bags for yourselves that you do not wear out, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven 
that no thief can reach nor moth destroy. For where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. Gird your loins and light your lamps, and be like servants who await their master's return from a wedding, ready to open immediately when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds vigilant on his arrival. Amen, I say to you, he will gird himself, have them recline at table and proceed to wait on them. And should he come in the second or third watch and find them prepared in this way, blessed are those servants. Be sure of this, if the master of the house had known the hour when the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be prepared for at an hour you do not expect the son of man will come. Then Peter said, Lord, is this parable meant for us or for everyone? And the Lord replied, who then is the faithful and prudent steward whom the master will put in charge of his servants to distribute the food allowance at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master on arrival finds doing so. Truly, I say to you, the master will put the servant in charge of all his property. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the men servants and the maid servants to eat and drink and get drunk, then that servant's master will come on an unexpected day and at an unknown hour and will punish the servant severely and assign him a place with the unfaithful. That servant who knew his master's will but did not make preparations or nor act in accord with his will shall be beaten severely. And the servant who is ignorant of his master's will, but acted in a way deserving of a severe beating shall be beaten only lightly. Much will be required of the person entrusted with much and still more will be demanded of the person entrusted with more. A lot of themes here, Annie. Yeah. There is a lot, a lot going things. on. We're not going to cover everything, but let's let's see if we can pick through some of the, the more uh, the key parts here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we've been spending a number of weeks talking about these teachings of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke on on this final journey, his death march, as we've been calling right. it toward toward Jerusalem, and we're taking I mean, it slowly. It probably felt like a lot faster to the apostles. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. Things yeah. that just, whoa, it just happened. But I do think there seems to be a, a theme of of preparedness. I mean, almost like we're we're toward the end of the liturgical year, right? Like the, you know, as we head toward Christ the King, we get a lot of readings about, you know, mm -hmm. being prepared, being vigilant. And I feel like it's kind of similar here. But I'm curious, you know, just to start off putting you on a hobby horse, what does almsgiving have to do with being prepared and vigilant? Okay, yeah, the, I'm, I, it does come into the passage in a little bit of a funny way. There's, an, as I'm saying, there's a number of themes, so it's a little bit hard, at least at first reading, to be like to find. It's not just one thing, right? In fact, it, the whole passage is a little confusing because Jesus offers a parable. Peter says, "What does the parable mean?" And then Jesus uses another example. So right, like, exactly. That wasn't helpful, Lord. You didn't no. answer, Jesus. Just, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a little bit confusing. In the middle of him doing that, you do get this thing about almsgiving. Give us your, your, your verse here, Annie. Yeah, this is 
Luke chapter 12. I don't have verse. it. I have the just the lectionary. Oh, here we go. Chapter 12, I verse know, I'm 33 sorry. and 34. I was, 30, there it is. 30, well, 32. It's the beginning of the passage. Yeah. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I'm going to stop just to say, what is the kingdom? Okay. I'm going to stop for a second and come back to the passage. It's all about that. This whole thing's all about that. Right. Christ's mission is all about that. Okay. And that's what they're asking, right? They're heading to Jerusalem and they're thinking, well, he's going up, right? Because Jerusalem, for us, for us, Jerusalem is the place of the resurrection. For us, Jerusalem is, you know, the place we go on pilgrimage. And it's got the temple mount. For the Jews, Jerusalem was the throne city. And the problem that they were looking for the Messiah to solve was the fact that David was no longer on the throne as right. godless Romans are over there causing us trouble. And we need the king to return because in second Samuel chapter seven, the Lord promised that the throne of Solomon, the throne of David through his son, Solomon would remain forever. And this is a major problem. Second Samuel seven sets up an expectation, which the people of God have to ultimately come to terms with because it looks like it's over. And their only hope is that it's not over and that there's going to be a king returning. And when that happens, then they're going to be free from all of the, the, the challenges they're facing with the, with the God forsaken Romans who are causing all sorts of problems for them. Right? So this is our expectation. And Jerusalem, well, if we're going to add Jerusalem, then it's time for the kingdom to be reestablished, which is why Luke focuses upon that. Hold your passage there. Remember what we've been talking about in these passages. Luke's writing all of these things in light of the ascension, which is coming, yeah. right? I'm, I pointed that out to you guys how many times in chapter 9, verses 51 and following uh, that... Um, well, that's not drew near for him to be received up. He said, yeah, yeah, to the... go to Jerusalem. No, exactly. So look now, hold your passage here in Luke chapter 12 and go with me to Acts of the Apostles. Chapter one, verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So there he is. Stop. So there's the expectation, right? They're heading to Jerusalem. It's time to it's time. Stop playing games with healing people and walking on water and stuff like that. We got to get to the business of getting these Romans out here and get the kingdom established. So he starts out this section of the gospel as he's heading to Jerusalem. Jesus said, don't be afraid any longer, little flock. Your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your bones, give alms, provide bags for yourselves that do not wear out. And all around him, the same thing I've been saying each week, all around him are groups of people who are not part of his little flock. Don't get this passage wrong when you're, oh, little flock and the daisies and the things that are all headed. No, actually, look at chapter 12, verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of multitudes had gathered together that they trod upon one another. That's not and, a little flock. And then, that's right, that's not a little flock. And then what do you? What do you get throughout this passage in just before that in chapter 11 are all the woes to everybody, right? You're going to go back and read this in, in verse 42. Woe to you, Pharisees, you tithement and ruin every herb and neglect justice in the love of God and, and so forth. This is the, 
this is the big woes against these guys. And he's railing against them. I mean, you got to read chapter 11 for all it's worth, you know, and they want to kill him. And so he says to his guys are actually around him as the guys, his friends who he knows have been there for three years with him and they're not going to go anywhere. And well, they're going to be, they're going to be struggling for sure going into Jerusalem, but they're with him and they have faith. They're going to stick with him. And he turns to them in this passage and says, the kingdom is yours. It's yours. Everything you're expecting, it's yours, but it doesn't look like you thought it looked. All that money and security and all this stuff you wanted to gain in my, in my right hand and the throne of power, I'm going to give you something much more valuable than that. And here's what it looks like. That purse you wanted, you're going to have money finally instead of trying to catch your fish and eat it and pay the taxes to the Romans. That's where, right? They've been doing this all on the Sea of Galilee. They're right there in the tax offices there and bring in a few fish to feed their family and the tax got you, man, we want action out of that and, and so forth. And this is none of that matters anymore. What matters is now how we're going to live in relationship with one another, which is why I brought up the point of the kingdom. The mm. kingdom of God is the life of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit now revealed on earth in our relationship with one another, our communion with him in the son through our baptism. And then by extension, then our communion with one another, living the life of the Holy Trinity among ourselves in which the, in which the law of the kingdom is lived. What's the law of Jesus' kingdom? Love. Yes. Why is almsgiving come right up to the surface right here? Because there it is. You take what you have and you give it to another and you're going to discover your real life. And if you don't do that, if you hoard it to yourself, you're going to die because that's not the way of God's life, right? So I'm going back to my hobby horse for a moment and I'm not going to go on it that long. And that is tithing. My brothers and sisters, I know that priests shy away from it. I'm not going to shy away from it. You better start tithing. It is the greatest or one of the greatest spiritual exercises you can do so as to conform yourself to the life of God. Take 10% of what you receive and you give it away. As a basic principle, a foundation for everything else you're going to do in your life to give. And that's not the only way we're to give, but it's a foundation. Yeah. I was just giving a homily, not a homily. I had a parish-wide meeting last Sunday at my parish. And I said to them this, and I know we need to pack the passage when we're out of time, but I got to say it to you guys because I think it's important. What? is your part in the king gathering of the kingdom when we come together on Sundays and throughout the week, when our, when the kingdom is, is gathered the church, what is my part in that? Cause you have an essential part. St. Paul says that every part of the body of Christ is essential. Even essential. what is your part? Do you come to church on Sunday? So as to take, that's not enough. Don't be a sucker fish on the body of Christ. Yeah. Don't be a leech. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. No, you're to be a part of this gathering and of this kingdom. Well, what's your part? Unfortunately, today we've kind of created our parishes in so many places as kind of manufactured. I'm sorry to say it. The manufactured kingdom, right? The Eucharistic breads are bought from the factory. The wine is ordered by the case by the parish secretary. Everything is done like that, but there's little, there's little room for you to actually go in and till and keep the garden, right? Till and keep in the kingdom, but you've got to do it. 
you just have to do it. So I'm going to just suggest you take real practical ways. One of the easiest ways is flowers. Before you come to church on Sunday, you cut some flowers out of your garden. You bring them to the Virgin Mary. You might think that's, a, that's so insignificant. I'm telling you, it's extremely significant. Extre it, it, it's a part in which you went like this. And that's the movement of the Lord. That's the one who's given his life for us. We are to give his life, our life for him, for one another. The visiting of the poor or the sick. Yes, this is another way in which I, I do this. Coming to the church and helping wash the windows of the building. Yeah. Making sure coffee is prepared for the community. Little ways in which we can begin to, to give of ourselves to the other is so critically important. I'll leave it at that. And it's the heart of what Jesus is saying about the Father's pleased to give you the kingdom, but now it's yours. It's yours, and it's something you have to do something about. Yeah? Okay, let's move on. All right, we're going to get back to the passage. Well, based on what you just said here, Father, I think I might know the answer, but I want to ask Peter's question because Jesus didn't, didn't exactly answer it forthrightly. Okay. Is this meant for all of us, or was it just meant for the apostles? All right, St. Uh, Cyril of Alexandria gives this reply. Let's let him talk. He says this. What is our Lord's reply? He makes use of a clear and very evident example, right? There's an example after the parable. He makes use of a clear and very evident example to show that the commandment especially belongs to those who occupy a more influential position. I love this point because remember who's around him. Oh, little, my little flock. Yeah. thousands of people and they're and the pharisees and the lawyers and the scribes and they're and then jesus saying woe to you you sicko you you liars I, I i i fed you i i i healed you i did everything for you and look at what you're talking behind my back i can hear what you're saying because i'm god yeah so saint Cyril says this what is the lord's mind he makes use of a clear example to show that that the commandment belongs, especially belongs to those who occupy a more influential position, Pharisees, and who, and have been admitted into the rank of teachers. And by extension, Jesus is closest. Hmm. You're going to learn a new way, and it's not going to be the way of the Pharisees. Who he says is the faithful and wise servant whom his Lord will set over his household to give the allowance of food at its season. So there he is. He just says, he says, look, you want to know who Jesus is talking about? He's talking about, number one, the problem of the Pharisees, and by extension, his apostles, who are all clamoring for positions of power, right? Mm -hmm. And now he talks to them, and then, by extension, us, yeah? And how we are to live in the kingdom of God, which is where the point of the, of the whole past of what he's talking about here. Okay. Now I got I to gotta ask this question. <laughs> yeah. So if this by extension is meant for all of us, then wouldn't it be smarter to just be entrusted with less so that I only get the light beating uh, <laughs> as opposed to the severe beating for those to now, whom uh, more is entrusted? I knew you were gonna ask this question. So again, and I've got like five quotes that are juicy here from the church fathers. And you'd rather hear from St. Augustine than Father Hezekiah, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yes, okay. Yeah. St. Augustine. Now, if those ignorant of the law are in a worse condition than those who know the law, how can the saying of our Lord in the gospel be true? 
that servant who knew his master's will but did not make ready or act according to his will shall receive a severe beating but he who did not know and did what deserved a beating shall receive a light beating you see that this passage shows clearly a person who knows sins more seriously than one who does not know yet we and here's what saint augustine says yet we must not on this account take refuge in the darkness of ignorance now i'm thinking about the we were reading earlier about pharaoh and the egyptians being in that darkness yeah, yeah? Well, the well, God's people were protected, yet we must not on this account take refuge in the darkness of ignorance so as to find there an excuse for our conduct, hmm. not to know one thing, unwillingness to know is another. Yeah, so he makes it, that's the clear, clear distinction. Not to know is one thing, and the Lord is merciful. He knows we're fallen, and we struggle to see, and therefore we struggle with our sinful life, right, our, or the morality, how we live out. He knows that to willingly do it is you're not going to play games with 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 the lord and in fact we do know we've been given the greatest gift of all in our faith and so yes um much has been given to us therefore much will be required so we take a look back at our at our factory church and ask yourself what the lord thinks of that yeah think about the the basket being hacked around on passed around on sunday in which i pull out my wallet and I take out literally, well, it's the same $12 that was in there last week. Okay. Because nobody uses cash anymore. Had I been stupid enough to throw it in the basket. I don't know. I think you had 14 last week. What? I could be wrong. You know what? You're right. I bought my kids a thing of candy. You're oh, absolutely me. right. It costs a dollar 40 cents. I remember it down at the Mexican <laughs> market down here, little mamba candies. So yeah, that's funny. You remember that? That's it's awful. true. So no, I got twelve bucks left, right? But you know, so I throw a buck in. Do you think the Lord's blind? Giving of alms is the greatest thing you can give because the Lord is the one who's done this for us who are in poverty. Now we get to live His life. Yeah. So there's what Saint Augustine says to your question there, Annie. Well, okay. And the Lord knows when we're being willfully ignorant and when we're genuinely ignorant. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Now, before you go on asking more questions, I'm going to read to you another quote from St. Cyril of, 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 of Alexandria. But before that, St. Basil the Great, two quotes in a row and share cool. my screen with you of a cool graphic I found online, which is a lot of fun. Okay. Oh, St. Basil the Great. What is the mark of the Christian? It is to watch daily and hourly and to stand prepared in that state of total responsiveness, pleasing to God, knowing that the Lord will come at an hour that he does not expect. I can't remember which saint it is. It said the, the Christian lives every moment of his life in view of his death. Mm. Yeah. How many, how many pictures of the saints that St. Jerome, right? Yeah. What's With on his desk? Skull on his desk. The skull. Yeah right? Yeah. I'm going to die. I'm going to my dying day. When I do, I'm going to be prepared for that moment because that's the greatest moment in which I'm either prepared or I'm not prepared, right? So that's what St. Basil says. St. Cyril of Alexandria, it gives us the significance of all of this parable. And here's what he says, the girding of the loins, which is what I want to share with you in a moment. The girding of the loins signifies the readiness of the mind to work hard in everything praiseworthy. Those who apply themselves to bodily labors and are engaged in strenuous toil have their loins girded. The lamp apparently represents the wakefulness of the mind and, and intellectual cheerfulness. 
We say that the human mind is awake when it repels any tendency to slumber off into the carelessness that often is the means of bringing it in into subjection to every kind of wickedness. When sunk in stupor, the heavenly light within the mind is, is liable to be endangered, or even already is in danger from a violent and impetuous blast of the wind. Christ commands us to be awake. To this, his disciple also arouses us by saying, be awake, be, be watchful. Further on, the, the wise Paul also says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. So I'll go back to the center of this passage regarding this, this kind of falling asleep, this darkness, this slumber, by way of St. Peter Chrysologus, who says, All this is what the treasure brings about. Either through almsgiving, it raises the heart of man into heaven, or through greed, it buries it in the earth. That is why he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. O man, send your treasure on, send it ahead into heaven, or else your God-given soul will be buried in the earth. Yeah, he says, and he goes on to say, the gold is mined down there. So you know, down there, no, don't get stuck in the mine. Get out and, and see the heavens are ahead. And so I'm going to share with you, this graphic, which I love. Okay. So, you know, I was preparing and this girding of the loins comes up, right? Yeah. Gird your loins and light your lamps. And immediately I thought of the Exodus. Mm -hmm. Why? Because if you turn your Bible back with me very quickly to Exodus chapter 12, again, go quickly, we're running out of time. Exodus chapter 12, Story of the Passover, the command of how they're going to do it, verse, uh, verse 10, and you shall let none of it, that is the Passover time, remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it. Your loins girded, mm. your sandals on your feet and so forth, okay, and your staff in your hand. In other words, you eat it ready to go. Ready to go. Yeah. This is carry out. And isn't that, isn't that, bring that now over here to St. Basil the Great saying the mark of the Christians to watch daily, right? To be this preparedness. So I thought girding your loins is something we don't really think about anymore. Well, as a priest, we do think about girding our loins because we wear a very similar, you can't see the bottom of this, but the, a very similar outfit, right? This cassock. Sure. Yeah. And it's hard to run in the cassock. It's hard to go traveling in your cassock. Sometimes when you're out there working, you got to kind of gird it up. And what is girding it up? I take it up here and I'm going to wrap it around here. I'm going to tie it in a knot and, and, and I'm really, I'm ready to go now, right? I've done this before. So, so as I type this into, into Google, <laughs> you're going to Oh boy. This. Yeah. I hope I we're not going to see a bunch of underwear right now. There you go. This oh, comes this is comes from this <laughs> website, The Art of Manliness. Okay. Oh yeah, I'm familiar. No, don't, don't, I didn't go read this website. I can't, I, I know nothing except this graphic, which is in it. How to girl up your bad site. Yeah, yeah. The tunic wouldn't allow you to do heavy labor or fight in battle, necessitating the girding of one's loins. First, hoist the tunic up so that all the fabric is above your knees. And this will give you mobility. Gather all of the extra material in the front of you so that the back of the tunic is snug against your backside. Once the excessive fabric is gathered in front, pull it underneath between your legs to your rear, 
This feels much like a diaper. Gather a half of the material in each hand and bring it back around you to the front. Finally, tie your two handfuls of material together and you're all set for both battle and some hard labor. Go forth to be ye <laughs> men and gird up your loins. Art of manliness. That was really That's nice. Incredible. Okay. I love it. Get this is the image that Jesus wants you to have. This is what he did. They gird yeah. up their loins, right? This is the image Jesus wants you to have about being ready for the kingdom, which is to come. And how is, how are you going to get yourself ready for the kingdom to come by living that kingdom now? Because when, when the, when the master of the house comes for us, he wants to see us ready for what he's going to take us to. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and what is that? How does that look? What's the kingdom look like then? He's going to come in, as he says in this passage. Well, I'm going to pull it back out here. Chapter 12. This is super important. We're going to do it and we're going to finish. I promise. Don't, don't give up now, guys, because this is going to bring it all to the center. Luke chapter 12. We started with verse 32. Mm-hmm. Yes. And when Jesus then responds to him, he's in verse to Peter. Look at verse 35. Let your loins be girded and your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the marriage feast so that they may open him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will gird himself Mm -hmm. and have them sit at the table and he will come and serve them. Yeah? So the one who's ready, who's living this life of service, almsgiving, will come and they'll discover that their master is the one who first is the almsgiver. Mm-hmm. And he's going to sit them down and do for them what they've been doing. Do you see how awesome this is the kingdom of God? This is the church hey, nice. that he's given us. It's so awesome. Ah, get the factory church out of here. And get back in our family, which is meant to live together, to study together, to pray together, to serve together, to give together. Then, truly, together, the kingdom of God will be made present among us. The kingdom in which we live by faith, which is exactly the theme that's picked up in the letter to the Hebrews this weekend, chapter 11. It's a beautiful passage. Let's do it. All right. This is Hebrews chapter 11. We're doing verses 1 and 2 and then verses 8 through 19. Brothers and sisters, faith is the realization of what is hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Because of it, the ancients were well attested. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was to go. By faith, he sojourned in the promised land as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and maker is God. By faith, he received power to generate, even though he was past the normal age, and Sarah herself was sterile. For he thought that the one who had made the promise was trustworthy. So it was that there came forth from one man himself as good as dead 
descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sands on the seashore. All these died in faith. They did not receive what had been promised, but saw it and greeted it from afar and acknowledged themselves to be strangers and aliens on earth. For those who speak thus show that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had come, they would have had opportunity to return, but now they desire a better homeland, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was ready to offer his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, descendants shall bear your name. He reasoned that God was able to raise even from the dead, and he received Isaac back as a symbol. Okay. We don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to just cut to the chase of the, this, the matter here, which is very is 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 awesome. Your head's about to blow off, Annie. To, to well, to tell you first of all, if you love the story of Abraham, you want to get more out of it. We do have on our website the Institute of Catholic Culture, our Father of Faith, something like that, the life of Abraham. Type in Abraham; it's going to come up. It's a study I did. I loved it, not because I did it, but because I learned a lot doing it, and a lot of insights from the church fathers. And one of the coolest insight is about this passage. Now, we talked about what faith is before, right? And, and St. Paul is doubling down on it, saying they, they kind of grasped, grabbed hold of something which they didn't have yet. Yes? And Abraham's a great example of that. All of chapter 11, of course, of Hebrews is beautiful. It goes through the other great men of faith, Noah, Enoch, and others. I encourage you to read the whole chapter. But, but, but for our purposes and for the purposes of the context of the liturgy and the life of the apostles who are walking with Jesus now to Jerusalem, this passage is very significant. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22, which is what this is referring to. And I'll just go back to that, that passage, which we are reading from St. Paul. By faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was ready to offer his only son, of whom it said, through Isaac, your descendants shall bear your name. He reasoned that God was able to raise even from the dead, and he received back Isaac, Isaac back as a symbol. Now, we read over that because we're Christians, and we're like, yeah, da, 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 da. we keep reading the Bible. What did St. Paul just say? That Abraham reasoned that Isaac would be raised from the dead. Yeah. Now, look at this passage, chapter 22, verse, well, you get the whole thing from verse, verse 1 and on about the offering, about going up. They're about to go up the mountain, right, mm -hmm. which is Jerusalem. Right. And verse 5, then Abraham said to his young men, they're still at the base of the mountain, stay here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you oh wow and abraham knew what he was going to do on top of that mountain yeah. so this is what saint ephraim says about this by faith abraham when he was tested offered up isaac as a victim even though he had received this child with the promise that through him his descendants would have been named and abraham never doubted not even when he was about to kill him that through him his descendants would have been named. 
he decided in his mind and accepted the idea that God is able to raise men even from the dead. Hence, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. That is, so that in him he might come to know the resurrection of the dead, and in him might know the children of the spirit whom he would have had. Okay, wow. St. Ephraim, following St. Paul, says that Abraham believed in the resurrection. Wow. Wow. Which is, which is awesome, right? And that's, yeah. you know, and we who have been given so much now live in anticipation, as Abraham did, of returning from the mountain, right, with wow. the dead raised. If we live in that anticipation, in that faith in the Lord of what he's going to do in our life and not be doing this, the hoarding of everything to ourselves so that I can save myself. No, give yourself away, as the Lord says, for he who loses my life, his life, for he who loses his life will save it. My brothers and sisters, save your life. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.